Uh, two, two matters, before we go any further, two matters of, uh, you want to call it housekeeping, just things to mention. One is, congratulations to Pastor Mike, who received his Master of Divinity degree from Southeastern Seminary this weekend, uh, and because of the gas crisis, was up there all by himself, uh, as opposed to the host of people that had planned to go and sit in with him. So well done. Now, yeah. Now, we are going to, if you're wondering, we're going to a little more officially recognize Pastor Mike toward the end of the summer. He and I talked a lot about this, and, and that's how he says, yeah, let's just wait to do, well, we got graduate Sunday coming up and a lot of things going on, so at the end of the summer, we're going to uh, officially, a little more officially, recognize Pastor Mike. So, uh, well, we do appreciate him, his ministry, and the hard work that goes in to fulfilling that degree. We thank you for that. Second thing. As you are aware, Governor Roy Cooper uh, apparently read the CDC website and uh, aligned himself with what had already been said and what we already expected. It just happened a few weeks earlier than we had anticipated. Uh, Now, I'm not going to go into all the details of it. Typically, when there's a change during the COVID crisis and things that have happened in the last 14 months, I'll typically try to send out an email to you to let you know where we as a church uh, are, what our strategy is, what we're planning Uh, God willing, I'll still be able to do that, but I want to go ahead and mention uh, three things to you. Now, uh, and first, if you're not aware, what Governor Cooper said and aligns with the CDC is very simply folks that are fully vaccinated, folks that are fully vaccinated can now gather indoors as well without masks, outdoors already, but indoors as well without masks. And I could tell this morning, a lot of you were, were having a very private yeehaw moment uh, when you arrived without your masks. So um, uh, that was the, the basically the most fundamental part of it. Now, of course, there are a lot of exceptions to it. And if you want to uh, muddy yourself with all those exceptions, be my guest. Because the, what, what concerns us is what we're doing right here. I want to mention three things, though. Three things related to this uh, that will affect us moving forward. Uh, the first thing is that we will take into account in our strategy for phasing in the announcement, the changes in the culture. Like I said, it's pretty much what we were going to do anyway. It's just three weeks sooner than what we were going to do. So, But we will consider that uh, as well in our moving forward strategy, which you already have. I've, I've shared that with you in multiple ways, our phasing in strategy that puts us back in action uh, first week of June and worship without masks and Sunday school and, and so forth. So we start. We still are working on those components to get us ready for June 6. But just to be aware, we'll just factor this in. Uh, now, the second thing that we have to consider is our unique space. This has always been in front of us, and I uh, emphasize this consistently, our unique context. Physically, for example, as a multipurpose facility, we, we do everything in one space, a multipurpose space. So unlike a lot of other churches, we've never had Uh, the opportunity to say, well, this this group can go in the fellowship hall, this group will be in the worship center, or we'll have an overflow room. That's just not been something that physically we have have had or been able to do. We have not uh, lacked for that. We've just had to make adjustments according to that. Another thing that we have to take into account is we are a multi-generational church. We have a lot of age groups that participate in the ministries of First Baptist Church. So these are all things that we'll consider as we move forward. First, we'll, we will adjust a, uh, our own phase-in plan. And secondly, we'll do that considering our unique 
context. We always keep that in mind. Uh, the third thing is we will do that loving one another. Uh, now, what happens at Walmart or in the community is up to Walmart in the community. When we pass through the doors of the First Baptist Church of Shalot, we pass through the doors of First Baptist Church of Shalot as followers of Christ and as brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, the lifting of masks doesn't necessarily mean, or the mask mandate doesn't necessarily mean, that all of us are going to, to decide tomorrow to no longer wear our masks at church. And that's okay. If you decide to wear your mask till Jesus comes back, God bless you. That's okay. Right? Because we love one another. It also means that some may shed their mask. It's good. Some have already done that. Some do it because the CDC said so. And it also means that some may continue to wear their mask for their own reasons. And those are their reasons. Those are your reasons. And I'm not making light of that. I, I, I want to make sure we're all on the same page. If someone is wearing their mask, they have their reasons. Right? So we're going to, regardless of what the CDC says, regardless of that, I will do both. I will wear my mask and in some context shed my mask and in other contexts wear the COVID mask. I'll continue to follow precautions when I think that's necessary. And if you're not aware, by the way, if you're fully vaccinated, you can still get the COVID virus. It's just not as severe and you can still transmit the COVID virus if you have it. So Keep those things in mind as well. My point being, let's be sure we're all on the same page. And when we pass through the doors of the First Baptist Church of Shalot, we are brothers and sisters in Christ, and we love one another, right? And I'm excited, aren't you, about moving forward. And, and I love it when the CDC and Governor Cooper reads our emails and says, well, we need to get out in front of what they're doing at First Baptist. Let's do it first. Don't you love it when they do that? All right. This morning, we're going to turn the corner into a new message series on one of the most basic and fundamental facts of the Christian faith, truth, and the difference between truth and falsehood, and where those two things come from and why it matters to us, why it matters to us. We're in a different culture and a different time, and we're in a battle for truth. We've been in a battle for truth since the Garden of Eden. But in the last 60 to 70 years, things have changed in our Western culture in a dramatic way related to this one thing, truth, and what it is and what it means. In March, uh, NBC, NBC's uh, Lester Holt, a well-known, well-respected news anchor at NBC, was speaking at a symposium online, actually accepted an award during that time, and he was talking about journalism and journalistic truth. And he said... There's no reason for journalists anymore to have to feel like they have to consider two sides of an issue or two sides of a story. Now, this is Lester Holt. He said there's no reason for that. Journalists don't have to consider every side of the issue and figure out what's true. He said, this is what he said, journalists can just decide the truth, and that's what we present to the public. This is the world we live in now. This is what's happened in the last 60 to 70 years. We have moved away from even the notion of objective, absolute truth in our culture to an idea of truth that says whatever I decide is true is true for me, and you have to accept it. And whatever you decide is true is true for you, and I have to accept it. 
Because that's your truth. You hear that phrase all the time now, don't you? That's your truth. And we can draw a direct line to this shift in Western culture from that to the chaos that we are witnessing in our culture. When no one believes the truth anymore, no one can stand up for the truth. And we are in a battle for the truth. We're in a battle for the truth. It's not just in our culture either. It's in our Christian churches as well as among believers. It's now we have generations that have, have, have grown up in this culture and they've graduated from colleges and universities that teach this notion of no absolute, no objective truth. Instead, truth is what you decide it is. Truth is how you feel. Truth is your opinion and truth is your preference. And that's the going theme of our culture. It's so embedded in our culture now, no one even thinks about it anymore as being something that's wrong. As you're aware, I teach online for Liberty University, one of the preeminent Christian universities in America. I teach online for them a course in philosophy. And every philosophy student has to write a paper. And in that paper, we ask them a series of questions based on sources that they have read, Christian apologists. And, def- and they are defending the truth against atheists, and we ask them questions. And one of the questions we ask them in the paper is, is there any such thing as objective meaning? That is, meaning and truth being the same thing, that it's objective, it's outside of you, it's not something you decide or, or your preference or your opinion. So we're asking Christian students, would you agree that there is objective meaning in life and people can know what that meaning is? Easily. Easily, I've never done a research on it, but I would offer easily 50% of the students I have at Liberty University say no. There's no such thing as objective meaning or truth. Everybody decides for themselves what truth is. This is our culture now. And it's wholly and absolutely unbiblical. It just is. Our question in this series is where does that come from? And what do we do about it? What do we need to know as believers in Christ? So in this message series, we're going to dive into the deep end. We're going to look at some pretty thick theology, some deeper stuff in a Christian culture in which we're we're used to the cookies being on the bottom shelf, as a friend of mine used to say. We, We like the easy truth, the easy stuff, and then we take it and we decide what we like about it. The Bible doesn't do that, and the Bible is very straightforward even about hard truth. And the Bible is straightforward about this. There is a personal evil, Satan. And he is the liar. He is the father of lies, as we'll read this morning. And he is the one whose objective it is to lead human beings away from God's truth and into lies. If you have your Bible this morning, find with me John chapter 8. That's our beginning point for this message series, the Gospel of John in the New Testament and chapter 8. And while you're turning there, I want to give you a little bit of background into what we're going to read and what we're looking at this morning. The Gospel of John chapter 8 records a very lengthy conversation Jesus had, beginning with some some people that had come to hear him teach. And some of the best-known verses, the best-known statements Jesus ever made, as we'll read one in just a moment, came out of that conversation with people that were hungry to learn and hungry for the truth. Then on the fringes, as as was typical for Jesus, religious leaders came along and they were listening in. And as they listened in, the conversation escalated. 
And it turned into rather a heated conflict, even an argument we might call it, between Jesus and the religious leaders on the nature of truth and where it comes from. And the key illustration that Jesus is using and which the religious leaders pick up on is spiritual paternity, fatherhood. Because as Jesus used it, we tend to act out of the nature of our father. Who our father is spiritually is who we act like spiritually. That's Jesus' point when he talks about spiritual paternity and fatherhood. And we will see that the religious leaders pick up on that, but even makes them more angry because of Jesus' point in saying that. What his point is all along. So let's go ahead, John chapter 8 and verse 30. The conversation has opened up. Jesus is talking to the crowd about God and about truth. And in John chapter 8 and verse 30, this is what he says, or what the Bible says. And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, even for a a biblical novice, we're, we're familiar with that statement and what Jesus is saying. It's very simple what he's saying. If you know God's word, you know the truth. And if you know the truth, the truth liberates you. It sets you free because you accept that truth as God's truth. The beginning point of that is that you trust Christ as your Savior and that liberates you from the lies into the truth. The truth of God in Jesus Christ is that Christ is the one and only Savior of the world. And those who believed in him, verse 30, were liberated from the lies by accepting the truth. That's what Jesus says. Now jump down with me to verse 39. The religious leaders on the fringe uh, pick up on all this, and here's what they say. Our father is Abraham. Remember, we're talking about spiritual paternity and heritage here. They say, our father is Abraham, they replied. Jesus says, if you were Abraham's children, you would do what Abraham did. But now you are trying to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You're doing what your father does. That is, Abraham accepted God's truth, but you're not doing it, and yet you claim to be the lineage of Abraham, the great father of the faith. Now listen to what they, how they respond. We weren't born of sexual immorality. We have one father, God. That's a backhanded slap to Jesus. Here he is in his early 30s, And the reputation stays with him that his mother, Mary, had an adulterous relationship. And that's how he was conceived. The Jews in Jesus' day still believed that. And it was still part of his reputation. That's what they mean. We weren't born of sexual immorality, put in parentheses, like you. We have one Father, God. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me, because I came from God and I am here. But I didn't come on my own. He sent me. Why don't you understand what I say? Well, here's why. Because you cannot listen to my word. The word translated listen means perceive. You just don't understand it. And now he's going to explain why. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. 
Who among you can convict me of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? The one who is from God listens to God's words. This is why you don't listen, because you are not from God. Jesus says, Satan is the father of lies, the progenitor of lying and lies. That's what he says about Satan. There is no truth in him. Therefore, those who are not in the heavenly father by believing in Christ don't recognize that the words of Christ are the truth. Who are they listening to? No, they're listening to the father of lies. They're getting their information and their actions, even wanting to kill Jesus. That comes from the father of lies, Satan himself. Underscore this phrase, he is the father of lies. It means that it's in Satan's nature to lie. There's a contrast here. In Titus chapter 1 and verse 2, you can just make a note of this, go back and look at it later. The Apostle Paul is writing to a young pastor named Titus, and just opening the letter, Paul says in Titus chapter 1 and verse 2, in the hope of all eternal life that God who cannot lie promised before time began. That God who cannot lie promised before time began. Satan is the father of lies. God cannot lie. The phrase translated God cannot lie in Titus chapter 1 and verse 2 is literally the unlying God. It's not in God's nature to tell a lie. Not only is it not in his nature to tell a lie, he tells only the truth. He tells only the truth. It's impossible for God to do anything but tell the truth. And what Jesus means in this passage is in the same way, it's impossible for Satan to do anything but lie. That's what this means. It's impossible for Satan to do anything but lie. Lying of every kind, falsehood, untruth, comes from the father of lies. Truth, however, not only comes from God, God is truth. And everything he speaks is truth. And every word in the word of God is truth. Now, let me give you an example. This is so woven into our creation, we never even think about it. We don't realize that God has embedded this fundamental fact in our creation, and we see it every day, or we talk about it, or we hear, but I mean, you're hearing it right now, but maybe not grasping what it is. You ever thought about this? Truth, in our language, is always a noun. It's always a noun. Here's what I mean. You're not going to go home today and say, Pastor Bob sure did truth. He was truthing when he was up there. He truthed a lot. You know what? I think he's a truther. You don't do that. We use truth as a noun. You know why? Because truth, we know, embedded in creation from God's own word, is a thing that exists outside of us. It's not, we don't decide what it is. Truth is truth outside of us. It's even that way in our language. It's that way in our thinking. It's that way in God's word. And that's what God means when he says that he is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am truth. Not you, and not your feelings, and not your preferences, and not your opinions. I am truth. On the other hand, we do say, he's a liar. He's lying. He lied today. He lies a lot. Because lies are part of our nature. Sinners lie. 
It comes from our feelings and our opinions and our preferences. We do that. It's in us. And it's in us because we are sinners in need of a Savior. One of the most, one of the first things human beings ever do is lie. Just remember when you were a child or, or your children, you have children right now, they knock over a lamp when they're four years old. Who did that? I don't know. It's one of the first things a sinner does is distort the truth. They lie. We lie. Because it all goes back to truth and falsehood. Truth and falsehood. Here's what Jesus is saying. The term translated father of lies and from the beginning means that lying is Satan's native language. That's what he does. That's who he is. God the Father, God himself, cannot lie. He speaks only the truth because he is truth. You and I can choose to lie. We don't have to, but we can choose to because we're sinners. Satan lies by nature. That's what he does. That's who he is. And it comes out of his nature that he's a liar. Now, before we go any further, since we're going to be talking about Satan, his lies, and God's truth, I want to make two statements about Satan. Two, two statements about Satan. Who he is and what he does. Who he is. The Bible teaches and illustrates, without getting into a lot of detail about it, but shows us that Satan is a created being. He's a creature. He is not parallel or on the same level with God or Jesus Christ. He is a created being who decided himself used his own will that the Creator had given him to disobey God. And the first time we meet him, which will be next, we'll do it next week in this series, the first time we meet him, we find him tempting and misleading human beings through his lies. And the Bible shows throughout that he's a very real being. He's not a metaphor for bad things. He's very real. And he is the one that cultivates this battle for truth in our culture. And the battle against God. He's the one that tempts us to sin. And we'll see many of these things as we go along. He's very real. Now, that's who he is. What he does, however, very important, we can't blame Satan for every bad thing we do. Now, don't give him too much credit. He's not God. Okay? And the phrase, the devil made me do it, is not an excuse. God, you're, when you and day, when you and I stand before God, he's not going to say, now how many things did the devil make you do? That's not what he's going to say. You and I are going to be held accountable for us because we are free beings created with free will to choose for or against our God. What Satan does first is he utilizes those temptations. He utilizes our inclination to sin to bring us into temptation and sin. We don't have to sin. Tem being tempted is not the same thing as sin. But Satan contributes to it. Satan uh, uses that. As we'll see in just a little bit, other ways he lies to us. That's what Satan does. But also Satan was the originator of sin and death in the human lineage. It's because of, the, uh, of Adam and Eve falling to his lies and temptation that we have sin and death in the human lineage in the first place. That's why Jesus calls him a murderer from the beginning because he brought death into the world. And that's what he does. But I want to make a point of saying, don't hear in all of this that you and I get off the hook for our behavior. We are still accountable to God for the choices we make. What we need to learn, however, is how Satan 
uses that. We're going to learn in this series about Satan's handiwork. We're going to learn to recognize him in our culture, in our families, and in our lives. We're going to look at the top lies that Satan tells everybody that he wants us to buy into. But remember, we have a choice. And with God's help, we will always side with truth. Always side with truth. So this morning, for a few minutes, I want us to look first back at this passage and see that Jesus shows us three reasons that Satan lies to everyone all the time. And that's what he's doing. He's a liar. He's the father of lies. He lies to everyone all the time. God always tells the truth. He is the truth. Satan always lies. And here's three reasons at the outset that Jesus reveals from this passage in this conversation that Satan lies to everyone all the time. The first reason Satan lies to everyone all the time is so he can persuade people. He lies to persuade people. Look at verse 44 again. He says to the religious leaders who claim their paternity is with Abraham, the father of the faith, but the fact that they want to kill Jesus means that they are not spiritually aligned with the Heavenly Father in Abraham's lineage. They're still aligned with Adam's lineage, and they're still listening to the father of lies. Verse 44, you are of your father the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. Carry out your father's desires means undertake his will. Do what he wants. And Satan persuades us, tries to persuade us to do that, and uses lies to do it. He wants to persuade us to carry out his desires, his will, act on his behalf. Satan doesn't give us just information. Satan's desire is, is not to be passive and just to give us information. Satan's desire is for us to act on the lies that he tells us. So he's persuasive. And often that persuasion looks good, sounds good, feels good. But he's lying to us. It's not good. And he persuades us toward sin to carry out his wishes and what he wants. So first, Satan lies to persuade us to carry out his wishes. He does this to all people all the time. The difference is believers in Christ can tell the difference. We can see that's not right. That's not good. That's not what God wants. That's not what God's word says. And we will not be persuaded to act on those lies. Instead, we will stand in the truth. One of the most uh, common phrases the Apostle Paul uses for salvation is coming to a knowledge of the truth. The Bible uses that phrase for salvation, coming to a knowledge of the truth, being persuaded by the truth, being cultivated in God's truth. We recognize Satan's persuasion because it's not God's truth. Second, Satan lies to everybody all the time because Satan wants to destroy people. He wants to destroy people outright destroy people, destroy humanity who was created in God's image. And he hates that. He hates that about us. He wants to destroy humanity. And Jesus reveals that there are two main ways that Satan does this, that he destroys individual lives and destroys humanity. The first one is by enslaving people, by enslaving people. We read it to begin with, verses uh, 30, 31, 32. Jesus says, you know my word. To believers, he says, you know my word, you know the truth, and the truth liberates you. It sets you free. 
Free of what? Free of what? Well, free of sin and death, which means free from the clasp of Satan. Free from the evil that's in this world. You are set free and given new life in Christ. And because your life is regenerate, your life is new, you are redeemed in Christ. You recognize the truth. And you recognize who Christ is. And you live by that truth. You are liberated and you are set free. But Satan's design and desire is to enslave people to the things of this world, to enslave us to our pride and ambition, to enslave us to addiction, uh, to enslave us to falsehoods and and, and all kinds uh, of lies that he promotes in the absence of truth. He's in the business of holding people down. This is why he likes it when believers argue with each other. Yeah, Satan's good with that. Because then he can back off and let our old sinner selves do its thing. And if he needs to contribute to that, then he steps back in and he he says, you know, so-and-so never should have said that to you. You don't need to pray for them. You don't need to forgive them. And by the way, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, I think. If I'm wrong, just tell me later. Right now, just smile and nod. But the Apostle Paul directly connects the truth of Jesus Christ with forgiveness. That if you are practicing the truth of God in Jesus Christ in your relationships among your siblings in Christ, you will practice forgiveness in Christ. It's part of the truth of God that we forgive one another. It's part of the lies of Satan that we tear down one another and not forgive one another. So Satan enslaves people. That's one of his lies. Satan kills people. That's another way he destroys lives. He kills people. Addictions lead to death. He sets us on a path and a road that leads to our own demise and our own death. Read how many times sin is connected to death in Scripture. But God saves us and pulls us out of that. God liberates us in the truth and in His Word. But Satan's lies are consistently against the life of humanity. It's a clear lie. It's an obvious lie to those of us who are in the truth of the Word of God, but our culture absorbs it and believes it, that a baby in a mother's womb is an inconvenience, a disposable item in the name of health care. You can't make that up. Where in the world would anyone get that? They would get it from the father of lies. They would get it from the father of lies because they certainly don't get it from the father of truth. Satan enslaves, Satan destroys life by killing life as well. So Satan lies to persuade us. Satan lies to destroy people. Then third, Satan lies to mislead people. Satan lies to mislead people. Confusion is a tool of Satan. He keeps people confused about the truth. He wants people to wonder if God really loves them. He wants you to doubt your salvation. He he wants you to to think that your preferences matter more than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Satan misleads and Satan confuses and Satan is constantly telling us, I I don't think that's right. You you need to to make a stand. That, That pastor shouldn't be doing that. The church shouldn't be doing that. It matters more what you want. He misleads us, and he misleads us so that we focus on our pride and our preferences and our opinions more than the truth. Verse 46, Jesus said, if I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? 
Remember, he's speaking to religious leaders. Why don't you believe me? The one who is from God listens to God's words. This is why you don't listen, because you are not from God. This is why you don't listen. This is why you don't accept it. This is why you don't perceive the word of God, because someone else is talking to you. You're listening to the lies of the father of lies, and he's misleading you. One of Satan's most prevalent lies, one of his the places he, he prefers to confuse people the most and mislead, mislead people the most is on who Jesus is. On who Jesus is and whether or not you need Christ to be saved. He confuses people. Well, other religions, they talk about Jesus. Other religions talk about God. Surely it's the same God. He's happy to mis- mislead people. He's happy to steer people away from the truth of the Son of God. He's happy to deny people the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. He misleads them. He confuses them. And he's the author of lies and confusion. While Jesus tells us the truth. Satan is the one that tells you, I'm not good enough to trust Christ. I need to be better. Jesus is the one that tells you, I died for you, for everyone, before you even knew you were a sinner because I loved you that much. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. Satan is the one that tells you, I'm too ashamed for anyone to know what I've done and, and I'll get my life cleaned up and, and then I'll go to church and, and then, I'll, then I'll talk to God and, and then people will accept me and love me. And Jesus is telling you the truth. I will cleanse your shame. I will forgive you of your guilt. I will give you a new life if you'll come out of the dark. And into the light. Satan is the one telling you, I know how to do this. I'm good enough. Why do I need to humble myself before God? Why do I need to go to church? I'm fine. Satan's the one telling you, keep up that pride, buddy. You're right, buddy. You're you're great. Be prideful. It's all about you. And Jesus is the one telling you, I'm God and I humbled myself and died on the cross for you. Humble yourself before God. Receive Him as your Savior. Admit it. You're not good enough because no one is good enough. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of God's standard. That's the truth. Come to Christ and let Him cleanse you of that pride and fill you with His Spirit and learn what it means to truly serve the Savior. That's the truth. In our culture, in our world, and sometimes in our churches, we chase the lies of Satan thinking those are the truth, and we come up empty every time, and we wonder, why do I feel so empty? Why does my life lack so much? Why why can't I deal with life better? What's going on? And God reminds you it's because you're not in his truth. You're not with him. He's the truth. And he speaks only the truth. All that other stuff comes from the father of lies. I was reminded of this this week during our gasoline shortage. Uh, Have any of you done the gas station chase yet? I'm trying to avoid that. I'll be honest with you. I haven't done that just yet. It's okay if you have. But I have driven through town a few times. It's interesting. You drive through town and and the, the little yellow gas tank bags are all over the handles and and there's one in town that looks like a crime scene they rope theirs off 
with yellow tape. Like, how dare those people come and take all our gas? And then you, you see this trail of people doing the same thing. They're all chasing the gas. They're chasing the station where it is. And, and that's where you'll find them. That's where the line is. And it's going to stretch out into the road. And they're all going to get in there, and they're going to get their cars filled up. And when they get their cars filled up, what's going to happen? That station's going to run out of gas. The way we chase truth in our culture, we're really chasing lies every time we're going to come up empty. Until and unless we go to the truth of God's word. That fills up our spiritual tank. That's our spiritual paternity. That's where the truth is in God, in Christ, and in his word. So let me ask you this this morning. Do you recognize in any of this that Satan's trying to persuade you into lies or that Satan's tempting you into lies, and you've been falling for it, and Satan's telling you, hey, just do that one more time. It'll feel good. You, won't, you don't need to do it again. Or Satan's telling you, this won't matter. They won't know. You're good enough. All those lies, that, they go along with it. Your past, God will never forgive you of your past. Do you find yourself in that? Do you find him misleading you and confusing you? Well, God will not do that. Here's the truth. Give your life to Christ. Repent of your sins, put the past behind you, trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Be forgiven of those sins and God will give you eternal life and a brand new start and you will come to a knowledge of the truth and put that past behind you. And if you're a believer in Christ already, you know that you are, maybe you've been dabbling in lies, maybe you've been listening to the culture, maybe you've adopted the notion that the truth is my preference, my opinion, my feelings, how dare anyone tell me any different. It's time to return to the Word of God. It's time to get back to God's truth. It's time to let God be your teacher so you continue to come to a knowledge of the truth and live that truth in Christ. I'm going to pray for us first for believers in Christ and second for you in-house or online. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, I pray for us first who say, yes, we've trusted Christ as our Savior. God, forgive us if we have drifted from the truth and we buy into the lies in our culture. We buy into the notion that truth is anything else but the Word of God. Forgive us for that. Father, we pray for our culture. We pray for ourselves, our homes, our families, our schools, God. We pray for our community as the Father of lies keeps stretching His tentacles into the community, into the schools, into the minds of those who are confused and misled. God, how I pray. We would go forth with the gospel and with the truth. Fathers, believers, bring us back to your word. Bring us back to the truth. Bring us back to the gospel. God, bring us back to knowing and applying and growing the word in the word of God and in your truth. And Father, I pray for that one who needs Christ as their Savior. Father, I pray during this time you've cleansed away those lies that Satan puts in their hearts and puts in their minds that makes them think that, that you would never love them or they could never be saved or they don't need to be saved. God, I pray you take that away and you would show them right now their need for Christ. And I pray this prayer with them and for them. And I pray today, Father, if any in-house or online, God, have never trusted Christ, that in their hearts they would embrace the truth of God in Jesus Christ. Pray this prayer of faith and give their lives to Christ today. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know it. I know that I've drifted from you. I've wandered from you. I've turned my back on you. God, 
I know it. And I know that I cannot save myself. I know it's a lie to think that I don't need Christ, that I can save myself, that I'm good enough without Jesus. So, Father, please forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of my pride. Cleanse me of the past. God, I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. And that's the truth. And God, you raised him from the grave and he's alive today. And that's the truth. So, Father, today I repent of my sin. I put it behind me. I put all my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, his sacrifice on the cross for me, his resurrection to give me eternal life. I put all my faith and trust in Christ and receive him as my Savior today and commit my life to following Christ. Father, for all of us today, I pray this would be a turning point back into the truth. And Father, I pray for our homes and families especially. I pray God Satan would have no foothold in our families, no foothold in our marriages, no foothold in our schools or education. I pray God today that we would turn back to the truth, the truth of God in Jesus Christ, the truth of your word, the truth that transforms and changes and gives us life in Christ. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray these things.